Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn with So, I have a question. Uh, so this is episode 21, 22, I'll check. Um, I think it's 22, but I'm, I'm 20. not sure either. Okay, we'll go with 22 and I'll fix it later. There you uh, go. But we're, we're talking about uh, Mitch's discussion from uh, this past Sunday, which was March 30th of 2022. And uh, it was on... Luke, uh, sorry, John 16, we started, we moved into chapter 16. Mm -hmm. And uh, so first question, uh, this passage, a lot of it was about the Holy Spirit again, and kind of Jesus telling the people after, after all the persecution that's there, after telling the people to expect persecution, Jesus is telling his disciples um, what the Holy Spirit's role is going to be in walking with them through it in a way and uh but also in convicting and confronting the world mm -hmm. and so my first question is isn't the holy or is the holy spirit just for unbelief or just for believers then or is it also for unbelievers yeah and that is a question someone actually asked me after the service so um because they were listening to a previous sermon I gave back when we were in John 14, mm -hmm. where I emphasized the fact that, that when we put our faith in Christ, that's when we receive the Holy Spirit. And, and my, I think the, the language I used then was the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Like it talks about, you know, we will dwell with you and live inside you. And, and, and that relationship where the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us is for someone who is a believer. Um, that comes after we are willing to, in a sense, open the door to Jesus. You know, he's knocking at the heart and we open the door and we let him in. Um, we have a, a new kind of relationship, an indwelling relationship where our sins are wiped away. And so th it's, that's why I think it's almost separated where it talks in John 14 about that thing. Now we're up to John 16. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit also will have a role in expanding the kingdom in the, in the work of the kingdom and reaching new people. Mm -hmm. And especially the way he will do it is, is that it will be the Holy Spirit's role of bringing conviction into someone's heart so that they feel the need for Jesus. Um, to, to Conviction that, that, that helps people see that they are sinners in need of salvation. Um, so it's, it's not that they have the spirit, but the spirit is at work in the lives of non-believers, um, even though if it's not an indwelling relationship. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, so next question. You, you had a quote, or you said a sentence that stuck out to me. And so you said that uh, we can't preach someone into thinking that they're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Uh, so I wanted to just sit on that because obviously like there's a lot of uh, preachers, especially like revivalists from way back in the day where I've been told that, you know, in looking back and reflecting on them, a lot of times they would use fear tactics or manipulation type of things to try to push people into accepting Jesus. And so I kind of wanted some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't say we couldn't. I said I couldn't. That doesn't mean there's preachers who can't get away with it and do it maybe 
I, I really am sort of speaking from as I, I've done it, maybe Jonathan Edwards, you know, the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, mm. uh, maybe that did work in, in some eras and times. Um, I, so just to clarify, mm-hmm. what I mean, what I meant by preach someone into, into it is that I couldn't get them to feel that sense of conviction deep within their heart by mm. just, you know, my words alone. That doesn't mean I, I still don't have a role in teaching about the reality of sin and, um, you know, helping people understand sin and, and its ultimate consequences. And maybe even examples back when we did the Peacemaker series mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, we're called to live in unity with believers and, and to offer forgiveness and I have a feeling some of that actually was convicting for people as they thought about the, the reality of their relationships. They, they, um, I've kind of heard a few things that, 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 that did lead to a sense of conviction, but, but if I, in other words, if I try say, I'm going to make them feel guilty for their sin, I'm not good at that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think it works very well. And I don't, I, I, you know, at least in our jaded culture now trying to scare someone by emphasizing hell, um, it, it really actually almost might have the opposite effect. Yeah. Now, Jesus taught about hell and we need to teach the reality of it, but I don't think we need to hype it or emotionalize it mm-hmm. and just say, you know, we teach what Jesus taught in some ways. And some of his parables about, you know, the, the, the judgment will come and there'll be those who'll be shut out and they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. Um, they're cast down to the outer darkness. So, and usually as much as was, is be, you know, be alert, be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't miss out on, on this opportunity to enter God's kingdom. Yeah. yeah. So l- let me ask you, have you heard, have you heard sermons uh, outside of mine that, that, I mean, cause you, you have been different churches, like that is very judge, you know, hell focused. Um, that do, does try to almost impose a, a sense of guilt upon people? Yeah, I think that I think that maybe the closest I've been, I haven't been part of a church where that was the focus um, that like would come up frequently type of thing, but I have met I have met some individuals or like guest speakers Um and I think I've had I've had one or two students actually in a in a varsity where typically that's just where they're like that's the language they were taught. And so okay. to just kind of go like that's just how they approached it. Um and so yeah, so I haven't I don't think I've heard of any recently though. Okay. And and I think you're right in revivalist history, there was a long sense of of heightening the emotional sense of judgment and mm-hmm. And that, and that, that did seem to play roles at different times um, in, in the history of the church in America, at least. Right. Yeah. But it, we're in it, you know, partly it's the culture. You got to learn how to speak in a way that, that, that brings Jesus to the people of your time. And I I think I've found that laying out the case, um, with a little less emotion actually is more effective and 
it leaves the idea of convicting someone to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more truthfully how Jesus did it because like he did, okay, he did call the Pharisees brood of vipers, but typically he would speak a parable at the Pharisees and let the Pharisees realize, like let everyone who's yeah. listening put themselves in it and be like, oh, they're talking about me. Jesus never specifically was just like, you're going to hell um, or yeah. like direct like that. You're right. I think, I think his parables were a way to get around that. And that mm-hmm. that's an excellent way to get behind someone's defenses is, is the, the idea of the story where you, you see, see things from a different way. Yeah. And of course, Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, that I'm trying to remember, there's definitely at least one parable where it's like at the end of it, you have the, you know, and the Pharisees got angry because they knew Jesus was talking about them. Parable of the tenants. That makes yeah, sense. where where the the tenants refuse to honor God, or the honor the master, mm-hmm. the owner of the land with their fruit, and tenants were going to get kicked out. Yeah, yeah, that he that was getting closer to the time of the cross, and I think Jesus knew what was coming, what they were already plotting when yep. when he told that one. Yeah. Hmm. What else we got? Yeah. Okay. So another one. So. When you were talking about, uh, so Jesus was, you know, kind of helping his disciples know what to expect and when he left. And the first one that Jesus mentions is that they would be kicked out of the synagogues. And so I kind of wanted to just ask, like, what was the importance of them getting kicked out of the synagogues? Because weren't they like, you know, in my brain, they're now Christians. Um, And, you know, in our day and age, Christians are not Jewish. So I was trying to wrap my brain around that. Right. Well, and the first set of Christians were all Jewish, all the disciples, the apostles, the whole community. Um, There's maybe a sprinkling of non-Jews in the, 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 but I don't know if they're even named. It's, It's only when Paul starts his ministry, you know, a bit later, 20 years later or so that, that you start to get that. Um, so yeah, Jesus is saying, you're going to face opposition from the, your own leadership is the way he was saying it. Like, and you will, you will get kicked out of the synagogues, you know, it'd be equivalent, you know, for us being kicked out of a church, like saying, Oh, you no longer, we, we no longer consider you one of ours. Mm. Um, and yet, it's clear that the, the apostles that, you know, they would have considered themselves still being faithful to the Jewish heritage they had. Paul, you know, I mean, they're always quoting the Old Testament saying this is a fulfillment. You know, we're doing this because it was written in the, the Old Testament word. So but that that was not recognized by the Jewish leaders. Um, and so it's interesting. You really see it, I think, in the story of it when Paul starts going to the Greek cities. Mm. Where so in in um, Jerusalem you had the temple, and so I, I know there were synagogues in there as well. But the temple was the center of religious life. But in all the other cities, the synagogue had a greater importance, and it was the synagogue worship. And so to be kicked out of the synagogue was a big deal. So Paul would go. And he would sometimes be invited to preach to the synagogue. He Paul always wanted to start with the Jewish 
um, community and see if they would accept it first. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you will see in the book of Acts, there'd be some receptive, some people receptive, but like at times they kick Paul out, they tried to stone him. Like, and so Paul then felt free to go after the Gentiles directly, the non-Jews directly. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then you get to the book of Revelation. And so most of the um, New Testament books were written by Jews, knowing there's a mix of non-Jews and Jews in the, the audience. I believe Revelation, by that point, it's, it's written specifically to, to primarily Gentile peoples, mm-hmm. people who grew up Greek, at least. And so there by then, the issue is the Roman persecution, not the Jewish. So that the second round. Um, yeah, it, it sort of relates to what we talked about, the, what the opposition from the world as well. Because the first round wasn't primarily governmental persecution. That's true. It was more the organizations you belong to. You know, especially once they got out of Jerusalem. Yeah, I was going to say in Jerusalem, it's kind of a mix of both because the synagogue le- or the temple leaders were also kind of the political leaders. Yes, the, the high priest family and that stuff. Right. But when you get out of um, into the Greek cities, the synagogue leaders, they face their own threat of persecution from the Romans. And that was one of the issues I think that, that took place is they were, you know, worried about, they were worried about being persecuted by the Romans themselves, which happened at times by the Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the first round, it was just more, you can get kicked out of whatever group. And then only later did it get to the point where the government will actually put you to death. Right. Or arrest you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so another question. Uh, so in closing of your talk, you pretty much said how there's like, there's aspects of outreach and evangelism. That's our job. And then what's the whole other part of it is the Holy Spirit. So, you know, the Holy yeah. Spirit can convict, convince and convert. Whereas our job is to testify, teach and touch. So like kind of, have you, do you have a good example? I'm gonna ask this poorly, but we'll try anyway. Uh, How have you seen like, or what have you seen that helped people understand their need for Jesus? Like, is is there stuff we can do that help um, the Holy Spirit convict and convince? Hmm. I think there's in, in all three of the things that, of our job, each have a unique power in, in that the Holy Spirit can use that in his work mm. of getting behind people's defenses. So testifying, I mean, that part of that is talking about Jesus, but part of testifying is what is our own story? Mm. And so I think when we're willing to be vulnerable about 
the brokenness we've struggled with or our failings or our sins or our fears or our loneliness, you know, and how Jesus met that, I think that can lead others to look inside as well versus putting up a, a, a front. Like if so, um, you know, they may, they may or may not see that their own struggles in your story, but if they hear enough stories of people who, you know, of why they, why someone actually turned to Jesus, eventually someone's going to be like, yeah, I, I've struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out an answer. And, and maybe Jesus is that. So testimony has a, a role, um, I think. And maybe could be the biggest. And then teaching. Um, of course, I'm big on that because that, that's what I like to do and I'm good at doing, I hope. And, but, but helping people understand it mentally and, mm-hmm. and clearing the roadblocks of, I think sometimes people reject the gospel because they misunderstand it. They've heard it said badly. They, um, and say, you know, to, to believe in the Lord does not mean you have to believe this. Right. Like, oh, really? I can, um, I mean, I remember a kid trying, you know, back when I was doing youth ministry, like he, he's like, I can't accept that because he thought mainly it would mean he, he couldn't get in fights anymore. And he just knew himself that he would get in a fight. And I'm like, tried to, you know, assuage him like, you know, he might help you, you know, he doesn't want you to get in fights, but if you blow it, you're not kicked out. Like, so, and to let people know that they're not committing themselves to be perfect. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what it means to accept Christ. And then touching as a power too, right? Just to be in, and what I meant by that is being close to people, um, be, being within, you know, in their life enough that they know you care about them and they know you're there and, um, and they start to see your life and for what it really is. So that too can help, help people see what, what have you seen like that has helped people come to that convention? Have you, have you had experience with any of those or you think one of those three is more powerful than the others? Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely like the testify, especially, so I think in a lot of, in our culture, like kind of starting with the testifying and touch to me seems like where to start. Um, Because I've heard once somebody was like, nobody can really argue with our testimony. Like if I say this is an experience I had, like nobody can really argue because it's my experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just reminded of there was one time when uh, I was working on a homework assignment with a friend in college who had no faith background, really, um, or a different faith background, I should say. And uh, the bottom line is we did not get the homework done. And we're both like diligent type A students. And Mm -hmm. I was at the point of like, okay, like, you know, it's due in 20 minutes. We're stressed. Like, this isn't, we're just not going to get the last problem done. Like, let's just accept, you know, not accept defeat, but like, the reality is, is that I'm not going to get it done. Let's just hand it in now instead of, you know, sitting at it, staring at it, struggling on it for another 20 minutes and then running to make sure it's handed in on time. And so I finally like kind of convinced her as well. And as we were walking to hand in the homework, she just looked at me and she just was like, how are you not upset and like freaking out by this? And Mm. 
And like my response was to actually explain like, well, like I no longer have perfectionist expectations of myself. And that's because like the only person whose opinion matters is Jesus and he gives me grace. And so Mm. as long as I did my best, like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about like the 10 or so. I don't have to worry about doing bad on one homework assignment because I know that ultimately like he'll get me the grades I need to go where I need to go after this. And, uh, and so like, to me that I think a lot of like to get around people's defenses a lot of time, like starting with the testimony and touching and just being a part of people's lives is really the best way. Um, yeah. But at some point you do need to teach because they need to understand what exactly you believe in order to actually meet Jesus. Right. Yeah. Which is why teaching is kind of the ongoing, you know, every week and when they're ready, they'll, they'll come seek it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. yeah. When, when the student is ready, the teacher will be there. Uh, something from Kung Fu Panda. Um, um, but, but you're right. It's, it's like, how do you get to the people who aren't yet coming to teach? That's, that's, and, and people who are further away on the willingness to even engage with Christian teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a great example. Um, Oh, I had one earlier that I was thinking about of, of, well, oh yeah, I know. So like, what are the, what are the things that, that lead people to sense their need for Jesus? Cause that, mm. that's really, I guess what I'm trying to get across that's fair. is, is that I, um, you know, if you just tell someone you are a sinner, you need grace. I, I don't, they, they don't necessarily, they're just going to argue back is my experience where, but when they start to see some specific need at, you know, and, and sinfulness could be one of them. Like they, they sense um, shame or embarrassment over something they did mm-hmm. and like, oh man, I need, I need to be forgiven. Um, one of the stories I remember reading in a book called the uh, wind in the house of Islam is about a man who, who had joined the Taliban Mm -hmm. and, um, and for various reasons, he was angry and all kinds of stuff and the the Westerners and, um, but they, they compelled him as he, you know, they were teaching him to be a short, a soldier for, for Islam or whatever. They, they had him kill a baby. Like, and Mm -hmm. it was even in a Muslim village. It wasn't even, you know, Westerners that he was killing. And, and he just, he could not get past that. And he eventually quit the Taliban, ran away, and only then did he seek out a Christian he knew, which is his brother, actually. And that's when the gospel got to him. Hmm. And so it's like he, he saw things in a different way. Can you think of other ways that people have come to the point of, of seeing their need and um, that they can't fix their life on their own? Yeah. There's one story that comes to mind, but it's definitely a, like, the Holy Spirit just decided to convict type of story. Um, Mm -hmm. There was, so we had, there was a tradition that was, I guess, passed down um, that for our InterVarsity group on campus, we would print out our posters on these giant yellow crosses, like bright neon, obnoxious yellow. Okay. And 
And I, I just remember at some point somebody was like, maybe like, can we not do as obnoxious of a poster? Like, like, you know, maybe we could change up the, the look a little bit. And, right. uh, and we got a story of how, like, you know, somebody was walking along and like had grew up in the church, but, you know, saw the, you know, walk past these posters every day. And one day, like, just looked at it and God was just like, you need to go check that out this week. And okay. like, they were just like, I, I just had to come type of thing. And so like, I've heard stories like that, where it's like, it's just a like gut feeling of the like, nope, I, I need to do that. Like this, mm-hmm. that just needs to happen type of thing. I think it, it's in, the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives. This I didn't really get into this part, but I'm convinced of it, that the that, people we know the Holy Spirit is at work in ways we can't always see. And when I think about ultimately what led me to faith, because I, I at one point was a, a bit anti-Christian, at least I, um, I mean, I'd grown up in a Christian home, but we we'd kind of wandered away from church and somehow I became convinced there was no God. And, or at least I didn't think I could, you could tell me, and I sort of thought Christians, eh. I, so, so I didn't, anyways, but then I started little things, looking, I would never have picked out the top, little things, like even as simple as I, I had read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by mm. C.S. Lewis, which is a prefigurement of the gospel message. Um, and I think that, like, I remember understanding it after I came to, came to faith of Christ. There's even another book. I, I'd read a ton of books. I was, I was a bit of a nerd kid, um, a sci-fi book. And one that, that talked about the idea of God knowing all our thoughts. It was a weird sci-fi thing. The, the book itself was not Christian, but still it had God. You could talk to God without actually using words. Like he would know what you're thinking. I'm like, never thought of that. And that, so even little things that I saw God had planted um, that, that I, I believe the Holy Spirit was at work before I, I made my decision to accept Jesus. He was already coming. after me. Yeah. Isn't that what Jesus said? You know, you, you didn't choose me back in John 15. I chose you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think all of us can say that, like we didn't choose him. He chose us. He was pursuing us. And how do you react to that? Is that? Yeah, I mean, that that fits a lot into kind of my stories or at least the big moments in my life. Because I had, mine story is different in that, like, I pretty much grew up in the church. And I don't know, like, I can't tell you exactly the moment when I said, like, I want Jesus, like, I need him. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I know that, like, there have been times in my life where either my doctrine has been influenced and gotten a little askew or just like the fact that like I didn't fully understand who God was properly Mm. and how like in those moments like how God was still pursuing me how even like yeah that he would take time out to like purposely line things up so that I would come to a better fuller understanding of who he was and say like, oh, actually, no, that's a lie. Like, oh, actually, that's right. not how I actually think about the situation or about you type of thing. 
Um, and so I, I think that he, I think he does do that pretty mm. deeply. Yeah. yeah. So what more would you say is, is we should be doing then that's, that's our part in this? Hmm. I think a lot of it, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, I think that, I think that unfortunately a lot of what happens, because um, like, okay, so last week we were talking about how a lot of times the only view of Christianity that people get is what's in the media. Mm-hmm. And so I really think like working to show people like what an actual Christian with a vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus, like how they go through normal life, what that looks like. And that, okay. that means that means being willing to let non-believers get into our intimate personal spaces and do life with us and like us get into theirs as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and unfortunately, that's like not a very like, oh, just check this. Like you could just check that box off your to do list. It's a it's a long time kind of way of approaching life in a habit that we have to develop. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thought I had was, um, and that, that's very good and very right, what you said, but um, is sort of lifting up people in prayer mm-hmm. and, and just sort of even, or, but almost even more open-ended, like, God, who should, who should my eyes be open to? Yeah. And I guess it's the whole thing of, remembering he's taking the lead on evangelism. It's, it's not, the pressure's not on us to, to make things happen. Yeah. Um, but, but along those lines, like when, when something does come up, like let them talk. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know one mistake I did is someone was think having some kind of experience with God. And I, I came in and I tried to reinterpret it talk about, you know, how they're, no, now you put your faith in Jesus. And they weren't learning about Jesus at that point. Hmm. Like that, and that it actually hindered the relationship rather than, and and it's, so it's give them freedom to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, be ready to to jump in with our, our, the Christ part, you know, but kind of, I guess, pay attention to that. You know, if God is working in them, we can trust that God will bring them to the right spot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's all of the questions I had, unless you had any more. Um, no, I don't. I think we, I think we hit the main one. Um, we are. We're getting near one more. Really, we, it's our last sermon in John 16 we're going to cover a lot of territory um but it it boils down to really following up with this is is things are going to be tough how will he sustain us how will how will we get through how will the disciples get through the next for them three days mm-hmm. right they'll see jesus killed you know and um so jesus kind of gets some specific he actually they say you're if we finally understand what you're saying jesus you're finally putting in words we can grasp and this is good so be ready you will face hardship but that's okay 
God's still in control. Hmm. Um, so that's where we're heading this coming Sunday. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right. As always, thank you. Thanks, Jess.